Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Library Access, a Keyforge podcast brought to you by thekeyforge.com, the number one Keyforge fan site on the internet. Uh, with me today, I have Alex and Steven, and today we hope to talk about all things Keyforge. I feel like a good place to start would be the uh, just kind of a summary of the Crucible cast, which is a, a short show podcast video kind of thing that uh, FFG puts out about Keyforge, kind of their way of just talking directly to people and relaying news and updates and things like that, or at least that's the idea. There's only been two of them, but in this episode... Uh, it's 18 minutes long. You can go check it out. It's on the Fantasy Flight Games uh, YouTube channel. They they talked about a bunch of individual card rules. Um, they talked about organized play, which I think was like the the core message. Um, and with that was the app updates, which kind of tied right into the organized play. Um, did you guys get a chance to catch that? Yeah. Uh, watched it a little bit this morning. I did not, but uh, I saw it summarized in a few places. Okay. Yeah. Um and that, that was kind of the idea here was just to summarize it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest, I didn't catch all the rule stuff. Um, I have a spreadsheet that somebody put out there that is like really super good about it. It lists all the cards and it has a section for any potential rulings or interpretations or whatever. And they, they hash that out. I'll include a link to that to the description. It's actually a really handy thing to have on my phone. I, I created a little like home screen icon for the rule book and for that spreadsheet. So it's, like at our events, we don't have any official, you know, rule people. So it's nice to be able to call on that, you know, when there's any kind of discrepancies. But they talked about those rulings uh, and they talked about organized play, a little bit about how that's going to work and how the app uh, is going to tie into that. And that's that's what I paid most attention to. I was hoping they'd make some mention. Uh, I was I was hoping, but I knew it was unlikely that they would make some mention of a potential like online way to play besides crucible like an official official way uh they did not but they basically mentioned um you know what what the amber shards vaguely are going toward um i don't know if do, do you want to sum that up for us do you, you were the you listen to it correct yeah, yeah um so more or less the amber shards uh by the sound of it are going to be used for uh prize wall support like they've done in past fantasy flight games um where they'll you know you can spend your shards for specific key forge swag or um depending on the event you could also use them for different um they used to do out like tickets and such that you could just use at a prize like swag vendor um but it sounds like this is going to be all just specifically key forge and it's going to be all self-contained um and then also sound like they're going to be using the keys that you unlock for entry into specific events as well so okay that's and that's that's interesting. I've I've heard it's been about a fifty fifty split about how people feel about that, um, and I guess it's their own fault for assuming what it would be used for because we were totally just left in the dark. All we knew was when you scan a deck, you get some of these amber shards, and you know you assume they're they're of some kind of value. Um, I'm not sure how exactly I I feel about it. I I don't know what I would expect to get in return. I, I would love deck names if I could spend six amber shards or whatever to name my own deck that doesn't matter what the deck is. I just want a deck that's, you know, of the name that I choose. That would be really interesting. And they're, they're capable of that on a small scale because I remember reading something about they were letting, I think it was like card shops. If they entered, if they paid to come to this, some kind of gathering thing, you know, that the card shop owners go to, they could pay a certain amount or for their ticket and have a custom deck made for their shop, which I thought was interesting. So 
they certainly have the capability. Um, I just don't know how much they'll want to open that up and it would require a decent amount of policing, I think. So people didn't try to, you know, be clever and get around name bands or, you know, however that algorithm works. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. I would be interested in that or just, just a deck, you know, like it's like when you go to the smoothie shop and they give you a little punch card and after you buy 10 smoothies, you get a free smoothie. I would, I would love something like that, just something useful. And it, I'm, we have a little topic list. I referenced it before for what we're going to talk about on the show. And one of the other things I have are like tournament rewards. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about that, about these kind of lackluster rewards. And I'm not complaining, I promise. I don't care. It's it's the you know the farthest thing down on my list of things I care about when it comes to playing Keyforge. But I'm still allowed to have an opinion about it. And I mentioned this because I, I went to a tournament and the prizes were, um, I got it. It was a pri- it was a little tiny baggie of metal damage counters, which is neat, but there were, there were like not enough of them to actually use. I think there was maybe four or five of them. Yeah, I think there was five in a bag. Yeah, which isn't quite enough to, to use on their own. Um, and there was some other prize. I don't, I don't know what the criteria was to give them out, but they were the uh, like house-specific chain trackers. Oh yeah, the full art because they gave away house specific ones at pre release as well, but it just had the house symbol on it. These are the ones that were the playmat, like the same uh, that they're using the playmats for. It's yeah, it's the same images just on the back side. It's just the chain counter. At the event uh, I went to on the weekend, um, I-, I believe that like they get a kit essentially from Fantasy Fantasy Flight. And then it's sort of discretion how they want to hand out what's in the kit. So literally for coming in last place, I got a full set of the uh, promo uh, trackers, um, which was a nice a soothing balm for having put up a big goose egg in the in that particular local event. But yeah, honestly, my first thought when uh, when I saw that the app was tracking the, the Amber Shards was this is going to relate to online play somehow. Like if they roll out their non-crucible official service and, uh, you know, the, the, presumably there'd be some kind of a charge for it. You know, uh, I'm not sure how other uh, collectible card games that have an online component to handle that. Uh, but my thought would be that, you know, uh, uh, you know, you have 10 shards and uh, you get a free month or something to that effect was my first thought. My guess if they roll out a service like that is it'll be free. Um, and that's 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 actually pretty much how it works, you know, with, with Hearthstone, which kind of paves the way for online play. Um, they've been the, like the first one, I think to do it really, really well. Um, but I think they'll take a, a page out of Pokemon's book. And I don't know if this is actually what I think they'll do, or if it's what I want them to do, but Pokemon makes you, uh, you scan in your physical cards to use online. And I think this is kind of where it, it forks off for me. And I don't quite agree with it. I think you can buy digital only cards. Um, but I would love for, I think, what what could potentially be perfect for it, um, not perfect, but perfect for people who like the physical game, is to make it uh, where you have to buy physical decks and then you import them into the deck. And it, that way the online play won't cannibalize the physical play, um, which I think would be the concern if you can, you know, if it's tricky because you, you want as many people to play the game as possible. So you would think, you know, release it just like Hearthstone. It's free. You, you know, you can get cards just by playing. You, you amass, you know, to, to use what you just said, you amass quote-unquote Amber Shards. Uh, you use those to buy digital packs, and, and you can play exclusively online. But that, you know, I feel like that'll cannibalize a big portion of 
the player base that could potentially go out and play. Oh, I, I would play online all the time. I wouldn't go outside. It'd be great. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, seriously, if, if you had that as an option, would you still go play in person? Uh, for major tournaments and stuff? Like you were saying about the tournament, um, I got sixth place at my local game store, uh, which was middle of the pack. I think it was either 12 or 14 players at that um, Archon tournament. But yeah, I only got a couple of the stun and damage counters from that from the kit and one of the house cards just because of how they were being divvied up and stuff. Um, but that swag would be enough to get me to go out and play in person. I mean, otherwise, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to Monday night key forge at your, at your shop. Not every light night that I've been doing. Cause I've, I've gone to every key forge night that my local game store has, but I mean, if I could do it in the comfort of my own home, you know, I, I'd have a lot less incentive to go out to the, to the community building days. Interesting. What about you, Alex? Um, I have a, relatively busy schedule so being able to play online like even just with the crucible right now has been really crucial in getting me super invested in a short period of time in keyforge and i think having an app that uh presumably would have better control over things like net decking and so forth would even increase like the value of that experience for me at the same time i had such a wicked good time like meeting other local players, talking with them in person, having like a real personal experience rather than just sort of a chat window experience with the people I was playing against. Um, it would be nice to have the option to do either, but uh, I, I feel like it's sort of like it's in the middle, sort of what you mentioned. M prioritize the, the physical product as a thing that you go to your local game store and purchase, and there can be a point of interaction there. While you're purchasing it, hopefully you see that they're having a local event, you get interested, you meet a local community and start working through it that way. But then also have this available as just sort of a thing where it's just like, oh, it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night, and you got to go to bed in an hour because you got to get up for work tomorrow. Okay, great. Let's hop on the app and play a couple of quick games with the deck I picked up the other day. You know, it's it's I think both is probably optimal. Both both avenues. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think both is a very good like optional base. And some people want more physical. Some people want more digital. And it, having access to both is the correct answer. Like, I, I think when they get the app up and going, it'll be a perfect mix of the two. If there is an online component to the app. So here's the question, though, um, when it comes to digital purchases, I mean, do you in in your in your perfect keyforge world do you allow that or do you you know require them to buy physical desks and decks and then register them on the app or do you let them you know go to the digital store and spend 10 dollars get a digital digital only deck that only exists online um potentially you know cannibalizing the the physical sales altogether i don't think it's cannibalizing the physical sales though if they're still getting you know the same 10 dollars or even if it's you know 8 dollars to cut out the cost of the card making um, it's, it's not cannibalizing the sales at all. It's actually lessening your purchase because at any time they can just be able to turn the switch off and you don't have that deck anymore. Whereas the physical things are going to be here, you know, as long as the paper still works on them. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And I, you know, from a business perspective, I guess you wouldn't really care. Like it's, you know, whether, whether they say it's in their mission to have people, you know, meeting and playing and all that, like it really doesn't make any difference at all, whether they're buying you know, spending X amount online or X amount in person. Like they, you know, they can still run digital tournaments, things like that. They, it, I, I guess, I guess you're right. You know, it's only from players, you know, with the perspective of somebody that really wants to play in person that would care about that. You know, they, as far as their wallets are concerned, they make the same amount of money. So that's an interesting thought. Um, so I guess 
I don't know. Do you, do you, I guess that's your personal preference. What way do you think they'll do it? Do you think it'll be a, an online component where you can also purchase digital cards or packs, decks, I guess, or do you think they'll, how do you think they'll handle it? I guess is what I'm asking. My guess is that they're going to stick with, you have to go out and buy a physical product. Um, I don't know if that's a marketing consideration. Like I said, just getting people into stores, getting them involved in a local community, building the game that way or not. But it seems like they've really gone a ways towards making that a focus and working around the limitations of having it be a game where there's no card substitution. Like the, the entire premise of Unique Decks seems so focused on that idea of a physical product that it would seem a little weird to me to to go around that, even though, as you guys have pointed out, you know, there's literally no difference between spending $10 on a physical deck or a virtual deck if they operate the same way in that virtual space. But uh, my guess would be that they're going to stick with the the purely physical product at least uh, for the next little while. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on that. And you can also see in the card design, too, that I think there's only one card I can think of off the top of my head that requires a random access, which is Mindbarb. Um, whereas if it was, if they were going to be pushing more towards the digital field, just like Hearthstone, they have a lot more ability to do RNG things. So I think that them only having the one card shows that they want to keep it in the physical realm as much as possible. I'm wondering if maybe, uh, a- another possible thing that they could try and, and sort of exchange Amber Shards for or monetize in some way would be purely cosmetic things within their online community. I mean, I know with Xbox Live and uh, the PlayStation equivalent, people will literally like pay actual currency to get cool things for their online avatar. I'm not sure if that would be a thing that would be appealing to Keyforge players, but it certainly might be a thing that they could offer in exchange for, you know, uh, you know, redeemable cards that you win at local events, um, Amber Shards, what have you. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see something like that definitely taking off. Just something, it sounds weird to say more practical, but, you know, I the the idea of, you know, swag doesn't really interest me a whole lot, depending on what it is. Uh, I saw a thread on Facebook asking, uh, like, what your ideal tournament rewards would be, and I I was interested in the thread because I just I didn't care a whole lot for what I got. I think the, the metal damage counters are cool if I had more of them. You know, if I have two sets of them and I can actually use them, sure, that's a cool thing to have. Um, it beats the heck out of cardboard uh but the the chain tracker it's just it's a it's useless to me uh it's a cool collectible and be cool if i had a set and i could you know store them away somewhere not a binder because i don't have a binder for cards because it's not how this game works but you know if i i i just think they're they're kind of a silly thing to have um and i can't use them i don't i don't really know of anyone that tracks chains that way um but you know, if if you could replace that with something more practical, what what would what would you prefer um, as far as a tournament reward or a participation thing or whatever? See, I'm the exact opposite of you. I want all that swag. I want all that cool stuff. Like it, it's not that it's super useful or not. Like I I enjoy the ones that are super useful more. Um, mm-hmm. but I'd rather have it in my collection just to say that I have this. You know, I I won this wild wormhole playmat. I I may never use the playmat, but I have it. A playmat seems useful to me. You know, like the things I would want would be, you know, a playmat, uh, deck boxes, card sleeves, things like that. Things that actually, you know, I'll use every time I play. They didn't do card sleeves, but they did about the same thing with Netrunner. Um, 
because when Netrunner determines that the top four got a deck box of whatever theme it was for the kit, um, the first place would get a play map, uh, and everyone got a card that they could use, but that was, you could slide those alternate art cards into a deck, uh, which is something you can't do with Keyforge, obviously, unless they give you a deck as the prize. Right. Even then, I, w- I wouldn't mind that. You know, if I got a cool holographic wild wormhole that I couldn't actually use, but it's a cool collectible kind of thing, like, for whatever reason, that holds more value to me than a, you know, a chain tracker card. Just it's something cool, and it's, especially if it's if it's particularly unique. You know, everyone everyone and their, and their brother has these chain tracker cards now. So they're just, they're, you know, they're common as common gets. Right. So it'd be cool if they did these kind of limited runs of, you know, certain holographic cards and they weren't intended for official play or anything, but you just, you had them. I think that would be a cool, a cool thing. I'd be okay. So they also say in the rule, in the competitive rules that you can sleeve in or use any of the alternate art stuff. I mean, I don't know anything higher than, you know, store championship level, but if you had the physical card with the Archon name on it, I wouldn't care if you slotted in a fancy wild wormhole that you got from a from a tournament or any any card. I mean, as long as you have the card there to represent, be like, yeah, it's part of the deck. It belongs here. Sure, you know, and that'd be a cool way to show off, you know, that hey, I won this. Like, it, it's a matter of pride getting the swag more than it is the swag itself. I both I wouldn't mind that, and I would enjoy it. Um, I just worry about then you start getting into a like a weird logistical area where like. You know, you have people trying to cheat and people trying to swap cards out that don't actually exist. And maybe not, maybe not at all. But if, you know, if, if you introduce the possibility for people to alter their decks like that, which they already can, I guess there's, you know, introducing that doesn't change that. But then you've got, you know, you've got officials at tournaments having to like look at your deck list and then like check the cards off on it. You know, maybe you're required to like come with your deck list in order before you shuffle so they can quickly, you know, confirm that the cards are what need to be in there um but you know like i just said it's that's i guess the the having alternate art or whatever and letting people slip that in um doesn't change that people could still cheat and i'm wondering if that's going to be a thing um and i'm sure it is actually i'm sure somewhere i'm sure somewhere will somebody will try it though i don't think it's going to go far because every single card has a name on it right i mean yeah but how frequently do you you know when have you ever looked at your opponent's card close enough to look at you know check the deck name on the bottom i i trust players that i play against <laughs> yeah but i was going to ask like in the games that you've played live and in person have you ever picked up uh, you know your opponent's uh, in, uh you know a deck uh, list to actually check it against what was played or you know i looked at a couple of them but it was just a very casual perusal like you know and uh you know Let's see what I'm going up against or or what this deck is is made out to be. And everybody was very chill about it. Um, I almost wonder also if there isn't uh, opening the door to potential bootlegging possibilities. I mean, it's not impossible to create bootleg cards, especially if you have, you know, 36 of them to work off of as a template. Um, but I mean, I guess that's a problem with any kind of organized play for card games is how do you know how legit something is? There's no hologram or anything else that would be difficult to replicate here. You know, at a certain point, you're just going to have to accept the fact that if somebody's cheating, they might not get busted on it. That's true. And well, and hopefully, actually, on that note, um, I think we're safe there because of the app. You know, if if the companion app functions as it should, it should be very verifiable that your deck is a real deck. You know, the QR code should... Well, no, I guess I'm wrong. Um, 
because you could, you know, you could forfeit it down to the QR code. You can generate a QR code. That's, you know, I could generate a QR code to go to any deck. That that's that's an interesting thought. And there, you know, like you said, I haven't really sat down and like, you know, looked at the card in a magnifying glass. But like you said, there's there's no holographic inlay. There's no anything that, you know, makes it kind of non counterfeit a bowl. Yeah, and with how many combinations are, if somebody could actually figure out how the QR codes are being there, they they totally could. But I I think that's a giant case of the juice being just much, much not worth the squeeze. Right. I mean, if you're trying that hard to get 16 Nephil Seeds and 16 Library Accesses, like, oh, go for it. You, you win. Go for it. You go nuts. That right. deck would be yeah, terrible it, to play. Oh, it'd be awful. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be absolute garbage, is what I'm saying. Go for it. Uh, yeah. Well, that that brings me into my, you know, you were talking about people picking up your cards. That brings me to my next topic, um, in-person playing etiquette. Um, and I don't really have any questions or anything particular to say about this. Um, more just, you know, what are your thoughts on it? Do you, do you have any interesting horror stories, anything like that? Do you... I don't know. And I guess I'll, I'll provide some context. Um, I, I'm a super nice guy. I'm, you know, I'm not a weird nerdy guy. I don't, you know, freak out about cleanliness, anything like that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a social person. I, I'm not socially inept if, if you get what I'm saying. Um, but I don't like people touching my cards. Um, not if I trust them, you know, if I know they're going to treat them well, you know, yeah, here's a deck here, play with it, shuffle it, do what you want. But, I've, I've encountered, you know, for my first time as a, as an adult, <laughs> you know, I used to play Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh and I saw this a long time ago, but I was too young to care or whatever. But as an adult, my first time on Monday, um, a fellow like picked up my cards kind of without asking. I mean, we were playing together. Um, and he just grabbed, grabbed it up, you know, flicked it a half dozen times with his finger to get it off the table. And then, you know, kind of fingered it around looking at it and you know threw it back down. But do you, how do you guys feel about that that kind of interaction that's implied that people you know some cards suggest you just grab their card and put it in your archive or that you know discard a random card from their hand with by them just yoinking it out of your hands do you does that bother you am i alone here um it doesn't bother me but i think that it is super polite to ask before you touch uh, anybody's other stuff whether it's tokens whether it's a card what have you like we're still at a point now where i think some of that play has like there's no real culture around it yet and uh, as much as you can port a bunch over from other games you know the, it hasn't totally been established for keyforge in the specific way in which keyforge plays um i haven't run into any scenarios in which uh i've had any of my creatures put into my opponent's archive but i do have an acquaintance uh, somebody I went to high school with actually whose son was playing at a local event uh in our hometown and i noticed he posted on facebook in one of the keyforge groups that because of that his son had lost a card out of his deck and, you know, that deck was now essentially useless because of it. So, I mean, I, I got to assume that at a certain point, some culture is going to rise up around that. But, yeah, I think just the rule of thumb would be just ask before you touch somebody else's stuff. Right. Sure. Yeah. And that's a concern with the unique deck format. Um, if your card gets frayed or, you know, accidentally stolen or, you know, some rogue person you're playing against decides to, you know, rage bend your card in half you're you're really kind of screwed 
Um, unless FFG comes up with some some solution for that, which they won't, I don't think, because you know the idea of them doing a single print on like one card to send you doesn't doesn't seem plausible to me. Unless they charge an obscene amount of money, which might not be a huge deal. You know, if you have a deck you love, it might not be a big deal to spend six dollars to get a single replacement card. But just the logistics of that, it, they, it seems really unlikely. Um, you can also there's there's the potential for you know I guess I guess it's you know it's up to FFG to come out and say something like you know proxies are allowed um, you know even in tournament play I don't know if they would ever do that I don't know if that's a thing that's ever happened but there really hasn't been a case you know unique deck game game where that could you know be a necessity but if they were to come out and say you know yeah you know uh, official approved proxies you know the the officials of the tournament if they confirm it's a proxy and it ex- it's the only one in the deck and this and that you know maybe something like that can can stop this unique deck game concept from from being kind of a scary dangerous one to play you know with it, it's just it's a thought i had i was you know i was playing up across from that guy who you know kind of fingered the cards in a weird way and he didn't seem malicious but he was just one of those guys that i wasn't so sure about and I like it was crossing. I was doing really well, um, not to brag, uh, but I was I was like 100% win rate that night. Um, and I played the guy like three times in a row, and I was winning every time and just just stomping him. Um, and I'm I, I'm honestly not saying that to brag, but just to provide context. Uh, and it it dawned on me like, man, I don't know how how common it is for people to rage out, but like, you know, this guy could could grab one of my cards and bend it in half, and this deck is just done. Yeah, I can play it on Crucible, sure, but and it, it kind of scared me. That I just, I don't know. I, it's been something that's been on my mind, you know, ever since then. Oh, I was gonna say that there's also the the strong possibility that uh, a purely accidental thing destroys your deck. Like, is there gonna be a culture around? Please don't bring a soda to the table because if you spill it, my deck is destroyed, or even one of my cards gets touched by you know errant water dripping off of your you know coat because you came in from the elements or whatever i mean the i'll be very curious to see what kind of etiquette comes up around that Mm -hmm. i'm 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 also curious um and maybe you know maybe the community decides on their own as far as you know the rules go with you know absolutely no touching of your opponent's cards you know unless they give you explicit permission or maybe you know when a when an interaction occurs where you know, one person takes a card from another person's hand or deck or archive or whatever it is that is facilitated by like the owner of the card to where you never actually touch it. I don't know. That sounds tricky. You throw a card in their archive. They want to check their archives. They have to be able to look at them, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's no good solution to it. You know, I guess there's not a solution to every problem and this might be one of those. I think the solution is going to be sleeves. I mean, that's, well, sure. Yeah, I've got my card sleeved up, but you know, like he was saying with a soda, if you drop a soda on the table, like it's getting in the sleeve. But uh, it helps take away a lot less of like all those other problems. Like I can't stop someone from bending a card, obviously, but I don't care if you know someone fingerprints are on a sleeve or something like that. And I think that just sleeving sleeving cards is good etiquette in any game. But I think it's more so in this with the, I, I guess the word is frailty of the deck in that way it's it's the easiest way i can think of to explain the unique setup is that every deck is frail and that you lose a card the deck the entire deck is done sure you know the more i think about it i i would guess that they'll come out with an official ruling on proxies and it'll be it'll become a normal accepted acceptable thing in the community 
you know, your car, your dog eats one of your cards or your, you know, your kid bends it or something like that. The, the idea that they'll say either that, or they'll provide a solution for you to buy a new card. The idea that they'll, that they would say, you know, sorry, your SOL, go buy another deck. I think that would leave a sour taste in too many people's mouths. Cause that's a, you know, I haven't heard that as a concern that the game is so new. The biggest concern you hear is, you know, no constructed things like that. But once that kind of blows over and it levels out, those are, you know, people are going to realize like, Oh, you know, this I'm holding, I'm holding a, a newborn baby, a priceless artifact in my hand. And it's, you know, it's very fragile, very valuable. Um, so hopefully, hopefully they come out with uh, some kind of solution, whether it be etiquette or proxies or the ability to buy new ones. Get those old laminators you had from school and just airtight seal a card. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. It'd be a thick deck, but it wouldn't go well, anywhere. It'd be safe. It'd be good. That's right. Um, <laughs> speaking of tournament play, um, what do you guys use for tokens? Up until yesterday, um, I had an extremely Bojack set of tokens that I put together out of other board games that I had lying around. So stole a bunch of uh, blood tokens out of the Bloodboard card game and uh, made a bunch of like paper tokens for stuns and various other things. And then yesterday, my starter kit that I ordered weeks ago finally came in the mail. So now I have the, the quote unquote official tokens, which to be perfectly honest with you, I'm going to probably be replacing in pretty short order because I don't really like the feel of them. The cardboard feels kind of chintzy to me. Um, I, I, I would like to get some of those super deluxe tokens, but I don't know if I'm down to spend like a hundred bucks on them because, uh, yeah, they, they, they all seem to be a little bit more on the pricey side. If somebody could come out with a good, cheap $20 solution with everything that you needed in a one player kit and uh, you could get a hold of it and it was, yeah, no, I, I'd straight up buy two sets, you know, for me and a friend to play. Well, boy, have I got news for you. Stay tuned on thekeyforge.com on this upcoming week, and uh, you might be pleasantly surprised with a token-flavored treat. This, this oh, sounds wow. like spoilers. Uh, are, are you giving us some spoilers? It's a little tease. Some may, you know, call it what you want, but just be on the lookout because I, too, am frustrated by the $100 sets of tokens and keys and counters, and nay, no more, I say. And I mean, don't get me wrong. If you want to spend that much on the tokens and they look awesome, like go for it. Invest in the hobbies that you enjoy in. But like, I I just got a starter set yesterday. My local game store has just been selling out of them so rapidly that I haven't been able to get a hold of one. So I've been just using my old Netrunner tokens because sadly Netrunner's dead. Um, but they all work and they're easily distinguishable and I'm easy easily to use them for. And I'm probably going to keep using the Netrunner tokens because I'm so used to them now. Um, unless I buy a higher quality token set, I'm not a big fan of the a the amount of tokens that I got from the box. I, I'm going to use the keys. That's the only thing I really am going to use because they've been saying that eventually keys color coding might be a thing. Um, but other than that, the rest of the tokens, yeah, they feel chintzy. They're not easily used. I hate having a three as a number, personally. Like, one in five is what I want it to be at. So, yeah, like, the Netrunner stuff, it's it's old, but it works, and no reason to stop using it when it's doing good. Let me throw an idea at you guys. 
Um, do you think there's a possibility that at some point during organized play, FFG comes out and puts out a guideline saying that your tokens must conform to a certain standard to be used in organized play? I would guess yes, um, because it's already it's already been kind of a thing with no dice, um, which is frustrating to me. I, I prefer dice, and I understand why they're not allowed, but they're a million, billion times more convenient than throwing 16 little pieces of translucent plastic on your identity card as amber um, than having a, you know, a 20 sided die that has a 16 on it. Uh, I'm also a fan um, of dice. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I am a hundred percent hashtag go team dice. Um, but again, yeah, it's, it is, I don't think it's as easy to bump the table as fantasy flight wants you to, wants to make it out to be, but I can see there's, there are pros and cons to each. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, the rationale behind no dice is that at some high-level play, they've had people, like, bump dice, and then it interrupted play while they tried to have to, like, forensically figure out where they were at and make sure that people weren't trying to pull a fast one. Is that, is that correct? I think that's the idea, and I'm, I'm sure it has happened. You know, it's I think no dice is a thing that's existed in, like, most card games forever. Um, just cause it's, whether it's on accident or on purpose, it is, you know, especially you get anything bigger than a six sided die. Um, and they're, they're pretty prone to, to you know, being fumbled around a little 20 sided dies laying on a tiny, you know, a pinpoint. And if, you know, I'm looking at my computer desk right now, and if I were just to give it a good whack, it, uh, you know, it would roll all over the place. So I, I think that's, it's been a rule forever and I totally understand why. I just know that I'm not, you know, a clumsy doofus and I, I can play perfectly fine with dice. Um, and I think, you know, and actually on that same note, I guess that you, like you said, yeah, to answer your question, yes, I think they will. And I think they need to put out some kind of guidelines as far as, you know, what you can and can't use for, um, you know, for your tokens and stuff. But I played on Monday with a fellow who he made his own out of cardboard uh, and there's nothing wrong with it, but just the way the table was set up there his he had you know at one point i used the number 16 because it seems to happen a lot like my me or my opponent will just amass a bunch of amber in a turn or two um and he had like 14 12 16 some giant number on his identity card of these gigantic uh amber tokens he created out of cardboard and they were like two inches away from his you know from the 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 stockpile or whatever you want to call it, the, the community pile of Amber. And there was just a point where like, I, I, I had to question myself just like, Oh man, like where do his, you know, where do his Amber stop and that pile start? And like, I, I think that, that to me seems more ripe for, you know, mistake than a dice getting bumped. And there was also a time where, you know, the part that bothers me the most about it and it, it only really bothers me in theory, not necessarily in practice, because I haven't encountered it yet until Monday. Um, but like, I would much rather risk bumping a dice and being able to immediately look at my opponent's identity card and seeing, you know, five or 12, just right there, being able to glance at it in one second and look away. Um, versus like, you know, best case scenario, I'm staring right at his amber pile and I'm like counting in my head, you know, mouthing it out loud and you know, starting over a couple times. He knows I'm going to fuck with his amber. Like he knows I'm going to, I, you know, I have something in my hand. Like, you know, he knows that's really relevant information to me right now for some reason. And he's going to play accordingly. And, you know, the more serious you get in your gameplay, the more serious of a problem that's going to be when people can start doing this like 
crazy count card counting by memorizing your deck in that two minutes and just knowing what to look for and stuff like that. You know, that, that, that knowledge, you know, what's in my deck combined with me hyper focusing on how many Amber the opponent has is going to lead them to, you know, potentially recognize something I'm about to do. That's a concern for me. I found a way around that. Um, just by being consistent in your asking and also going back to what you're saying about etiquette. Uh, if you're consistently asking at the start or end of every turn for an amber count, it, it the first turn they might be like, okay, he's going to mess with an amber. But if you keep doing it the third or fourth time, they're going to be like, okay, it's just natural. Um, and the same thing with him having his um, amber piles like almost next to each other. Again, that's also just being considerate and being like, hey, you need to move the piles or can you move the piles a little bit? You know, it's it's easy for me to miscount and be like, oh, the, the sore pile is, you know, your pile. And that's just etiquette in that regard. But just being consistent and asking the first time that somebody plays against you. Yeah, they're going to be like, OK, he's going to mess with my amber or something like that. But by the third or fourth time, at the end of the turn, they'll just be like, all right, I'll draw my cards. I have four amber. Go ahead. Right. All right. So quick follow up on that, then. If FFG at some point comes out and says you have to use tokens that conform to this standard, here are the official rulings about what your tokens must be like. Is it then contingent upon them to provide those tokens themselves or a standard version of those tokens like in or outside of the starter set? Or are they basically mandating you know, if you want to have guaranteed tokens that conform, you got to buy a starter set, whether or not you want like the, the other decks that are included with it or not. I I would guess they would surely make it an option to go buy from them. Otherwise there'd be too much discrepancy and it, it wouldn't give, you know, shop owners the ability to confidently say, you know, no, sorry, that won't work. Cause then there'd always be the, you know, like, well, what do I go buy? Like I went and bought this specifically because I thought this would work. You know, in that way, you know, card shops and rules and all that, you know, can state just, you know, nope, if you're when in doubt, you know, go to the website and buy, you know, buy a pack of, of tokens. And it seems like a kind of natural progression, too, because I think in a lot of cases, that's why people are buying the starter sets It's just to get those little pieces of cardboard um, to have something kind of accepted to bring in and use. That's exactly why I bought a starter set is because I wanted those little pieces of cardboard in case anyone said anything like I didn't need to. I'm at almost 30 decks. Like I'm, I still have a booster box I haven't even opened yet. And cause, cause I want to play with all my decks I have now, but I sure didn't need a two extra decks that were in there. I'm not going to say no, but I spent $40 on cardboard and I love Keyforge enough that I'm happy with it. But there's some people who are definitely going to disagree with that statement. Right. Yep. And I've seen people, I've seen all sorts of people trying different things. You know, they'll buy the set and they'll pull the decks out of them and then they'll go sell the, you know, the open pack for $40 or they'll, you know, they'll pull the, just the cardboard out of it and then sell the, you know, the decks and the, you know, the box and all that stuff. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, in, in time, obviously we'll find out what it ends up being. Um, but I would guess they, you know, as, as these questions occur and these discrepancies pop up, I think they'll get more and more precise or, you know, more particular about, what can be used and providing some guidelines, which, which will be welcome as far as I'm concerned, you know, then you won't have people using giant pieces of cardboard and, you know, I don't know. The, the token concept just is kind of frustrating to me just in general. I don't like the idea of having to carry around a giant bag of, you know, 
tokens with me. And me personally, I don't want to have cardboard. I was thinking about this last night. I don't want to use cardboard. I want to use coins, metal coins, just because they don't get dirty and gross and wet and things like that. But for me to have, you know, however many I need, 30, you know, let's say I bring enough to, to be able to supply for two people just in case. I have 30 pieces of amber. I have, you know, 15 damage counters, things like that. And just I've got these little, you know, at the at the end of it, I've got these rolls of was essentially money rolls of coins in my, you know, my pocket or my backpack or whatever. I just, it seems it's tedious to me. I just, I don't like having so many things or the people that come with, you know, the cards for stun. Yeah. They have a whole deck of like cards that aren't like actual cards you play with They're They're stuns. And it's just, it's too much. I think, um, disagree which I that. guess yeah. in what way? No, I, I don't think that like having the, the stun cards and stuff, um, like having the extra deck of those, I think that's okay. But for the token wise, like as long as you bring enough that in it is clearly designated as Keyforge tokens, like what they're made out of doesn't super bother me. I mean, it will if Fantasy Flight comes out with a red, like a restricted list of what the tokens need to be. I mean, that's going to be the thing that probably will happen at some point. I feel, um, but as long as you bring whatever tokens that you feel like you need to, like you should go and have as whichever kind that you want and the amount that you want. If you want to bring enough for both of us to have some, that's really nice of you, and I appreciate it. But I should be at least at a level of play that is what most people would be going for, which is what I would assume to be like either tournament or casual, but have their own stuff. I would expect someone to have their own tokens. Now, if it's a new player and you need to share, yeah, not a problem. Like, you know, having a little extra is never going to hurt. But I think you don't need to go for two players all the time. Just go with the things that you need. Um, and if you're, if you don't think you're going to need a ton of them, you can probably get away with not having a ton of them. I'll say this, a lot of the sets that people are selling on Etsy and so forth seem very shy on the number of tokens I would actually need to play a real game. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but, uh, you know, like, oh, our set comes with three stuns and, you know, four plus one counters or whatever. And I'm like, I, I have never played a game in which that would have done me you know, uh, entirely throughout the entire game. And if the entire point is to have consistency in recording things like shields, damage, stuns, and so forth, and, you know, you're not providing people with the actual tools that they would need for that for actual play, maybe you're maybe you're coming up shy on that uh, in your in your sales. I don't know. Right. No, I, I've seen the exact same thing. Um, I and again, I'll just. I'll reiterate that, you know, check back on thekeyforge.com sometime this week because we'll we'll hopefully solve many many of the the gripes and complaints that people have been having about keyforge tokens um, and all all that comes with it. Um, I do have another question about uh, kind of your like local local gaming and your experiences there. Um, if you've gone to any, how have your events been? Like, how's the turnout been for your, you know, your Wednesday Keyforge? Uh, the weekly one that I just went to today, um, we had a bit of players who were going to do some board gaming stuff as well, because we have a local board game group that also meets in the same day at the same place. Um, but yeah, my local game store, we we average on the weeknights, 
of round six to ten, somewhere in that range. And then the tournament, we had a Archon adaptive format tournament that just happened this weekend. And I don't remember exactly the numbers on it, but it was either 12 or 14. Um, so we've been having really decent turnout for our area. Um, we're not, I, I'm in a kind of middling city. Um, so having that much of a turnout for the game is relatively good. And I'm also close enough where I can, I'm a short bus trip away from New York City. Uh, spoilers, I'm in New York. Um, but I'm a short bus trip away from New York City, uh, Syracuse, Buffalo and Rochester are a bit of a trip, but I, I'm definitely sure I would go out for more like store championship stuff. And I know a lot of people will come to our area for store championships, yeah, store championships as well. So it will eventually, it'll definitely grow. And I'm a firm believer that 50% of the Keyforge player base is not playing the game yet. Yeah, um, my experience has not been quite like that, unfortunately. I've only gone to one shop because I live super close to it. Um, and they have they have you know, six nights a week of magic, and there's decent turnout for that. So I figured it'd be similar. Seems like it's just one of, you know, there's I think there's three in the area. And this is kind of one of like the bigger, better ones. Um, but, you know, the first time I came, I think there was four of us, five of us, uh, including like me and my buddy. Uh, second time I came, I think there was... Second time I came, there were, you know, three people. Uh, third time I came, there was two, myself and someone else. And then I was starting to lose hope. I was really getting frustrated. Um, my my store's not doing a good job of advertising it either. Um, and I, I'm sure I'm being a thorn in their side by complaining about it every chance I get, politely, but still just bring, bring it to their attention. Um, but on Monday when I went, there were five people there total. Um, granted, two of them had, like, just bought just bought like the starter set and we're like just playing it there for the first time. Um, but still five was a, an exciting turnout for me and it made me think that it would continue to keep growing. Do you, do you know how many decks that your game store has sold just offhand? Um, every Monday and Friday they get between one and three boxes and they sell out in. Okay. So yeah, our, both our game stores are selling quite a lot. Uh, I say our, like I own it, but I do not own it. I I've been streaming tournaments from there, but I'm in no way affiliated with the game store that I go. Um, but yeah, they, they've had to put a, not in this recent batch, but they have put in a three per limit for the last batch that they got. And it's still sold out within 24 hours. Like, right. I, I wish my store would do that. Even though I'm a bad guy, I go in there and I buy a box. Um, and I, at this point I do it. Like I went in on, uh, Friday and I like quote unquote camped out. I sat in there for like two hours waiting for him to get it because of a, I don't know. I, I got screwed out on buying it on uh, Monday of last week. So I, I kind of camped out there and waited and I just intended to buy a couple. Um, and he said he got three boxes. So I went ahead and bought one box. I didn't feel too bad about leaving two extra, um, especially cause someone else is going to come in right behind me and buy you know, the remaining two. That makes sense. Yeah. When I bought my booster box from there, they got a shipment of uh, 150 some odd decks, so I didn't feel too bad. Mm-hmm. But right, um, but I also, you know, even though I'm kind of the bad guy, um, I wouldn't mind if they imposed a you know one two deck rule, or um, especially because they they get that shipment on Keyforge night, you know, stow that thing away until you know until your Keyforge event, 
and you know, and use that as a promotion. You even post on Facebook, just like, hey, you know, KeyForge starts at seven, and we're putting three bot, you know, three displays out at seven o'clock p.m. And that'll freaking get people down there. I, I might even run that by them. Um, I'm sure they're sick of hearing from me. The event I went to on Sunday had like 20 people at it, which was nice. Um, like so, lots of play and lots of different opponents. Um, and I would guesstimate that probably like 50% of the people actually while they were there bought another couple of decks. Some people I know I played against literally were opening up their deck like in the minutes before the the, the tournament started, even though they already had decks. They just wanted to play like, you know, solo sealed, I guess, as an idea. Um, so, you know, obviously having that kind of event is good for sales of the product. So, you know, I guess you sort of your idea of reverse engineering that idea of you want to buy Keyforge, come into the store while we're having an event. And that's the only time you can get Keyforge is actually like a pretty good and interesting one. Um, it seems like a lot of the stores around Vancouver have been getting it in dribs and drabs. I know the store that's literally like two minutes from my house, you know, it was one of the only places you could get it for a little while. And because they're more of a board game store that I don't think any of like the standard card game players go to for any reason they were able to keep it in stock for like a significant period of time. But now they're sold out. But now it seems like the larger stores have all got it back in stock. Um, I don't think there's any shortage of product in the city. If you're looking for it, you can find it. Right. That's that's been my experience as well. You know, people like to talk about it like it's some. Um super rare super hot commodity right now and it is it's you know it's it's selling out in places but the people that are going and selling decks that they've opened and they decide they don't like and are kind of objectively bad that are selling those for $15 because you can't find it anywhere I think that's nonsense you know there's three stores around me and when I wake up tomorrow I could get a deck of Keyforge if I wanted to so with that though if you don't mind me swapping gears a little bit how do you think and you're you know just guessing um it is the season of giving. How do you think sales of Keyforge are going to go with that, you know, almost almost price gouging going on in the area? Like, you know, like my family knows I'm enjoying Keyforge. I might get a Keyforge deck for Christmas, but I also don't want them paying 20 bucks, you know, off of Amazon or something like that where somebody is gouging. Do you think that's going to be a problem this season or just in general? Or, um, Yeah, I think they... I don't know. I'm sure some marketing genius knows way better than I do. Um, I bet they did their homework a little bit. And, you know, when they when it came time to release it, you know, so close to the holidays and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think it'll be any more difficult than, uh, you know, Tickle Me Elmo, you know, whatever silly example you want to throw in there. That's just been kind of how Christmas works every single year. There's just stuff that's sold out just because of the timing. Um, you know, I think. It's tricky because I, I don't know who, who the, the actual audience is going to be. I don't think anyone who's never played Keyforge is going to ask for Keyforge for Christmas. Um, so I think that the people who ask for Keyforge for Christmas know a thing or two about it. And they can say, you know, hey, you know, hey, mom, dad, I would really like some Keyforge. And I just happen to know Barnes & Noble has 20 decks in stock. I think they'll they'll do the legwork and, you know, kind of provide that, you know. Or, you know, it's it's 2018, so old people are getting pretty tech savvy. You know, people can hop on there on eBay and Amazon and find decent deals. Uh, I haven't actually looked at eBay to see what a sealed, uh, like, you know, non-opened, non, you know, just a, a cardboard deck box, you know, not 
not one that's been open and the deck list isn't good and put back on eBay, but one that just hasn't been touched. I don't know how much they sell for, but probably for not too much more. You know, I, I, I would feel like if you're buying your, you know, buying your friend, your kid, whatever, a Christmas gift that costs $11 in the store and you pay $14 for it on eBay and you buy one of them. Yeah. I don't think that's, that's a terrible deal. And I think, I don't think it'll stop people from getting their Christmas key forge. Um, I also think, you know, if, as long as you're not a lazy shopper, you know, if you, if you have an ample amount of warning a couple of weeks, you know, you, you can, you can figure out where to get the game locally. You know, your kid says, Hey, I want key forge. You know, if, if the parent's smart, they'll say, well, you know, where do you get that? But even if not, you know, how many card shops, how many game shops in your area can you actually call? And then you've got the whole week. They'll, you know, they'll tell you, no, we get our shipment on, you know, Wednesday, try back then. So I, it'll be trickier to get, but I don't think it'll be impossible. I'll say this uh, in Canada right now, if you want to buy Keyforge via Amazon, the price is incredibly gougy. It's 25 bucks Canadian for a sealed deck. And uh, if you want the 12 pack of sealed decks, it is 200 Canadian dollars. Um, which Yikes. isn't that, yeah, no, it, it's super gougy right now. And you know, the, the, they will make sales on that because there will be people who left their Christmas shopping till very late and their significant other or their brother or their cousin or somebody else wants Keyforge for Christmas. And the only way they can get it is by using Amazon prime to get it shipped to them, you know, and they'll, they'll pay the premium just to have it for Christmas, which is a shame because I think one of the hugely appealing things about Keyforge is its affordability to get into, which is kind of what makes makes it a perfect stocking stuffer like i've literally bought keyforge decks to give to people for christmas this year as just like a very small like here you go and if you want to play you know let's play over the holidays it'll be fun you know uh, so somebody taking advantage of that and then going deep on the price gouges is, is kind of antithetical to i think the way the game is kind of put out there but we've already seen tons of price gouging and all kinds of weird you know double horseman deck for X number of dollars and so on and so forth. So uh, you can't ever really get away with from that entirely, but uh, bless the people who are still selling at MSRP because uh, I would hope that uh, that'll help build the game over the holidays. Support your local game store, buy from a reputable dealer. <laughs> well, and the other thing I'll say about that is, you know, people buying aren't stupid and if they can't find, you know, what they need, but they know the game store sells it reliably and consistently. You know, gift cards exist. So, you know, they, you know, parents, whoever, grandparents can go out and buy a gift card, a $20 gift card and say, you know, here you go. You do that legwork. You know, you go call up there every day and find it, but here's the money for it. So do you think just a straight yes or no, is there a price gouging problem that Keyforge has now, either because of rarity or stock or the holiday season? Um, Am I allowed to give a non yes or no answer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just like a short concise what i was looking for sure i mean there is price gouging it's i don't i wouldn't call it a problem um and it's to be expected with any anything you know anything collectible anything anything collectible and anything new and you combine something new and collectible together and then it's just ripe for that you know but like you know i've talked about it on the show before like uh, there's a market being created right now and everyone's still you know fueling out every corner of it you know and we're, we're seeing what, what people want, what people don't want, what people are willing to pay. And like, it's all kind of arbitrary right now. You know, like horseman decks were a good example. And it'll, it'd be interesting to see somebody kind of like map it all out, you know, how quickly that declined, you know, people were willing to pay $500 for it. And then a week later realized that, Oh, horseman's not good. 
And now people are doing that with time travel. You have a good time traveler deck and people give you 200 bucks for it. Um, so just, you know, just like with that, and this is not short or concise like you asked for, I apologize, but I, I think, you know, yeah, there's, there's some, you know, price. I, I don't even know if I'd call it gouging because that, manipulation that makes, maybe, but that makes it sound like it's, that know, makes it like sound worse than it is. You're right. Well, or, you know, like there's some kind of ill intent behind it. And I think it's less about, you know, I think it's less a Tickle Me Elmo situation where they're just like, you know, oh, you know, that mom will pay any amount of money for this Tickle Me Elmo. And more of just like, you know, I have some Keyforge and people want it. You know, people are willing to pay a couple extra bucks. You know, I'll sell my decks for $15 a piece. And I, you know, I don't think it's a problem. And I guess I feel that way because like I said earlier, you can get it if you want it. You know, it's, it's not just, it's not Tickle Me Elmo. It's not flying off the shelves. Um they sell quickly and they're difficult to find, but not impossible. So I, you know, I almost don't feel bad if somebody goes out and, you know, stupidly buys decks for $15 or, you know, 25 or whatever it ends up being, because it's not impossible to get. It's just, you know, you're just not doing your homework. You're being kind of lazy by, you know, not calling around, not waiting a week for it to get back in stock. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's not a thing where, you know, somebody has all of the water and you're dying of dehydration. It's more, you know, there's water down the road, probably, you know, there's a pool two miles away. You can go get some water at, um, but you're lazy and you'd rather sit at home and, you know, just look on eBay or Amazon or whatever. I don't know. That's, that's kind of my thought on it is I don't mind people playing with the market when it's, you know, not the sole, the sole way you can acquire it. And I agree with you on that. I mean, I'm I'm one of the crazy people. I sold a four horseman deck. It was the third deck that I opened up. I sold it opening the like release day. It lasted two hours on eBay. Someone gave me 170 bucks, and I just reinvested it into Keyforge. I I put a buy now at 170. I was like, all right. So I mean, if somebody wants it for this much, they can have it. If not, you know, I'm people will bid on it. And I'll you know just reinvest somebody in Keyforge, and I have now finally just. Put money and put my own money back into Keyforge. Mm-hmm. Um, See, and but. my experience is the opposite. I I opened a Keyforge deck on uh, Friday, and nobody wants it. Nobody, you know, I've got a I got a twenty five dollar offer on it. I told them, you know, no thank you, but that's that's fine. I don't think I want to play it. It's not particularly interesting. Uh, maybe I'll do what you did and throw it on eBay and just see what happens. Yeah, I mean, just starting at ten bucks and you at least make your money back if someone gets it. That was my only real thought but yeah that's that's what i'll do so we're we're going close to the hour mark uh i have one more topic that ties in with the first thing we talked about with the the crucible cast um they discuss chains so the concept of chains in game you get assigned a certain amount of chains and i think it's one through six chains you draw one less card on your draw turn until you exhaust those chains and each time you should draw you shed one of those chains um if, if you're confused on that, just Google it. It's really simple, way simpler than I explained it. But there's a concept they're going to be introducing with, you know, with this new app, it's going to track um, in both like tournament play and just casual play. You'll be able to track your wins, losses, um, like you as a player and each, each individual deck. There'll also be a power level component. Um, I'll link the, the Crucible cast in the description so you guys can watch it. It's 18 minutes and I don't need to rehash the whole thing. Um, but with that, they discussed chains and this isn't this isn't new it's not news we've known about this um but decks that are too good will be assigned chains from the get-go um and I, i'm trying not to like inject any bias on it because i'm i feel really strongly about it um but you know the question kind of comes up like you know how does it 
how does it how how do you feel about knowing that the deck that you get that may be like objectively the best deck in the game will also end up being the worst deck in the game like you will be you will literally be punished for doing good um do you i don't know is that do you think it's fair um do you do you agree with it do you you know how do you intend to play around it just what what are your thoughts on it in a whole i think it really depends on how they implement like um it's quite possible that they won't go necessarily you know as strict with heavy heavy chains on the best deck as we're all imagining that they're going to go um I do think that it introduces an interesting element to the idea of organized play, which is the, do I bring a deck which I can pilot really well and that on paper isn't amazing, but that I know can perform, or do I bring my high-powered deck and eat the chains just so that I can use what I feel like is, you know, sort of the objectively better deck in my possession? I think that decision point is super interesting and it'll be really interesting to see how FFG guides that as a principle within organized play. The dilemma with what you just explained right there, though, is that it chains won't be assigned based on the cards in the deck. It will be based on your win loss. So both of the, in both of those scenarios, you'll be penalized with chains. Assuming it's not a brand new deck. Yeah, I think it's a good idea in the idea phase. Um, I'm not sh- too sure how well I like it in practice. Um, because it feels like, to me, the absolute most amazing best deck that is ever going to come out of Keyforge and the absolute worst deck that's just, you know, all artifacts that doesn't gain you any amber, like absolute garbage. And they want these two decks to be at some point a 50-50 split on win-loss ratio. That's what I got from how they were talking about it and how they are like doing the game design of these pre-game chains. And in theory, it sounds great that it at equal skill level, the best deck and the worst deck ever created will win 50% of the time. But at the same time, that very much sounds to me like it's a coin flip. If it's equal skill that is also being involved in this and not how well you can pilot the deck, why don't you just flip a coin and save 40 minutes? Like, is is the enjoyment of playing the game worth statistically a coin flip right and i i don't i don't like any of that i <laughs> i i hate that idea um because if i if, you know there there's a way they could have presented keyforge and made it like that you know make it like whatever they call that the magic box uh where it's got like eight decks in it and they're all in they're uh, i'm not sure they're all they're like built to play each other i think they sell them in individual packs so you can buy two decks and they're just built to be like super competitive and super fun together um if they you know if that was what they wanted they should have done that because if that's the case like i i don't know i like to collect cards i like to assemble decks i have come to peace with the fact that i'm not able to do that with in keyforge but if you just want to take out any you just want to, you want to suck away any amount of like you know uncertainty which is also the fun for me in like you know your deck may be good it may be bad you have to collect you have to you know trade and buy new ones and figure out what works if you want to take that away that's great but you're you would be killing a big portion of the game and thankfully this will only exist in you know official tournaments um i assume 
And I believe it's only going to exist in lower level tournaments. I've only, I've heard from what I've been saying that the chained events are only up till store championship. Um, they they might change that later, and they might, I might have been mis- misremembering this, but I think it's only up until right. store championship does the deck chains matter for it. I would almost rather it be the opposite way. You know, I'd rather it be you know up until that it doesn't you know chains don't exist, and then when you're getting to the real deal, then penalize you know the amazing players because they you know they know what they're doing, they can pilot a bad deck. But I. I don't know. I, I don't want that coin flip. I don't, you know, I want to be able to have the best deck, you know, the best deck I can get. I want to be able to beat the people I encounter. I don't want, you know, it's, and it's not that I'm sour about losing or anything, but I don't want the kid that, you know, doesn't know how to play Keyforge and just opened his deck to beat me. Like I, I, it, it suck. It does suck away a lot of the fun for me. It's like a, okay. I'll, I'll, here's a weird, weird example that is like not even fully thought out. Mario Kart. Uh, especially Mario Kart on the Switch, I remember just felt so broken to me. I didn't play the, the Wii version. I didn't play the GameCube version. I went from you know N64, Mario Kart 64, to the Switch version. And I don't know if anyone else has done that, but in my experience, the items in Mario Kart uh, for Switch are so, so broken. And in by saying that, I mean, if you are the best player, if you are the best at Mario Kart, it doesn't matter because those broken items will 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 throw you back to last place. It doesn't matter how skilled you are, how good you are at racing or avoiding or getting a lead. Just it's it's just it's designed kind of like that 50-50 split you were saying with the chains to just, you know, to take away any advantage you have. And I don't like that. Like I I like to be able to, you know, learn my deck and be good at it and you know, be be rewarded for that. And I don't want to be punished with this you know, nuking of chains, you know, these chains nuking my deck and making it so impossible for me to succeed. Like, what's the point? Like you've, you've, you know, you, you're, you're already on thin ice, you know, FFG with the way you've kind of made this unique deck game, which is turning out really cool. I'm not complaining about that, but if you want to, you know, you only get to, you only get to, to wildly disrupt one corner of the you know card game market at a time. You know, you make it so people can't collect and customize their decks. That's great. So they have to go out and buy and, you know, buy more and more decks until they find the one that's perfect. Well, you can't have that concept and also also penalize people so harshly for having a deck that succeeds. And I get it. Sometimes decks, you know, with the algorithm, I'm, it's not perfect as we've seen with the names. Um, you can have a broken deck. I'm sure decks exist out there that are just absolutely, you know, turn one broken. Um and, you know, maybe there should be a solution for that. But I and I guess, you know, I shouldn't be saying any of this until we learn how how liberally chains are given out, because, you know, maybe maybe, you, you know, maybe it's you know once you have a 10 to one ratio or something, I don't know what it would be. That's when you get a, you know, one chain or something like that. Maybe it's a really kind of lenient system. I want to say that it was um, three if you went three times in a row. At a local or a store championship level, that's when it gets chained. It gets one chain for every three that you win in a row. One chain for every three times you win in a row, and you lose one chain every time you've lost three in a row. I don't again, don't quote me on this. I don't say this on the internet where it's gonna be here forever. But I I think that is the way that they explained it from the last that I understood it. And with that chain, it's it's like a permanent persistent chain. You don't shake it, you know, when you're supposed to draw, right? You do, yes. It, it, you just start the game having chains, like you played a cart, like you played Gateway to to Dees, um, and it's going either 
you have the three chains and you start losing the chains when you would draw. Right. It's, it's just acting as you start the game with a handicap. You can shake the chain eventually, but you start the game out. Okay. That's what I was curious about. And I, you know, it, that doesn't make me feel any better. Um, I think the idea of shake, like, I think the idea of shaking with chains is interesting too. I think it'll just get abused. You'll have the person, you know, the person that's got the most broken deck they can find is, you know, that's, if that's the system, that's not going to stop them. They're going to go to events and lose on purpose to get those chains, chains shook, you know, to, to get rid of those chains. If that's the system. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't, I, it doesn't sit right with me to be penalized for, you know, for being good. And like, in my case, I don't have a broken deck. None of my decks are, are crazy good. I'm just good at playing them. And I don't think it's fair that my deck gets permanently, you know, it's, a, I don't think it's good that it gets kind of penalized for, for me just playing it well. Um, and it's also really dependent on like the people I'm playing. against. like, what if the people I'm playing against are just really bad? And then you're having people like, you know, throwing fights. Cause like, man, I really don't want to get this penalized. I know there's a bigger tournament next week. Let me just throw this game. Like it, it seems like it'll disrupt. It'll seems like it'll disrupt gameplay more than it will make it fair. I'll say this uh, to take it back to your Nintendo metaphor from earlier. One of the reasons that Mario party and uh, uh, Mario Kart are designed the way they are is for the purposes of inclusivity. Um, so the idea being that it doesn't matter if I'm a hardcore gamer and I'm playing against my grandma and my little cousin who have never played Mario Kart or Mario Party before, we're able to have fun because I'm just not stomping all over them. Um, not that I would stomp all over my grandmother or my little cousin. Um, and that seems diametrically opposed to like card gaming culture at a tournament level. Like that's not the reason why people, I mean, sure, maybe for in-store events where you're just playing casually for fun. It makes sense, but on a tournament level, it seems very odd to me that they would want to implement it that way. Um, I guess we're just going to have to really wait and see how it is that they implement it, how strict they are about what events require chaining. And also, I think, you know, how how hard it affects, you know, actual play. Like, does it drive people away from the game? I guess, because there's a couple of people who I've mentioned this to is just sort of a casual, like, you know, when they said, well, how do you, what do you do if you've got a bad deck or a super awesome deck? Doesn't that unbalance the game? And I said, well, change. And they're like, ah, that doesn't sound that great to me. So, you know, it, it's enough to actually turn some people off from the jump. So it'll be interesting to see. And I mean, I, I'm going to drop another Nintendo Forge podcast going on here. Um, Smash Brothers, like they have in the same regard, um, you can set like handicaps for your for your different characters, like so you can make a game that is balanced and fun that you're playing at a casual level. Um, but at the same time, and the same thing as if I want to do with Smash Brothers, I want to do the same thing in Keyforge. I don't mind if a couple cards, like say you have a combo that is really, really just is gross, and those two cards being in your deck gives you a chain or two for events that's okay to me it's not great it doesn't fix the problem but it's okay but i don't want to be penalized for having more skill than my other than my other competition and i think that's where the the key differential for me is i wouldn't mind playing a deck that has chains if i have a combo that you know if, if a certain two or three card combo is statistically winning 75 percent of the games like that needs a little bit of a tweak and that might be card balance design. 
Uh, that might get fixed in later sets where we have more of a balanced card pool where a lot of the cards this time feel like they're just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. But I don't want to be penalized for skill at a high-ranked tournament. Right. Well, and you you brought up a good point. Is I you know, and I'll I'll preface this by saying I'm not complaining. I I don't carry the way really. I'm not as mad as I sound. And this I'm in the same boat. Right. And this hasn't affected me personally, so I'm really just kind of speculating. But if you know, if I could make kind of a ruling on it, I would say you know, we shouldn't be punished for you know a poor algorithm. You know, if that's what, if you're gonna focus so so much on this algorithm producing these cards and oh it's the algorithm doing this and that. Well, you know, take you know, take credit, take responsibility for that. Um, you know, don't penalize us for, you know, buying these decks. Like, I don't think for any reason you know, it's, it, you just, you can't have, you can't have both these situations. You can't have the unique deck game where you buy one deck and that's what you play or you buy another one. It's, it can't be binary like that with the, you know, the penalization system, even with what you described, which I think is more fair of just if you have a certain combo in your deck. Because, you know, I, I imagine little Timothy that's, you know, scrounged up all every penny he has to buy this Keyforge deck. And he accidentally gets the best deck that you can buy. And, you know, he's just screwed. And he doesn't have any money. He can't buy another deck. Like, he's just, you know, he's penalized no matter what for, you know, just for getting lucky. And he can't do anything about it. You know, if, you know, if your situation becomes true, he can't pull those, you know, those restricted cards out and, you know, avoid those chains. I just think it's, it's BS. So what I would suggest more than them kind of embracing this change system is make your algorithm, you know, airtight for the the next round, you know, the next, you know, set of cards. And then when a tournament comes out, you know, perhaps they restrict it to, you know, no, you know, call the Archons decks. You have to play a deck from this new set. I'd be okay with that. I just, I don't like the idea, you know, I don't like the idea of being penalized for being good or having a good deck or for my opponent being bad. Like none of those things are mutually exclusive. Um, But, you know, if one, even one of those things is true, I don't think I should be penalized for any of those. And I don't think that's fair. Now, can I ask you this though, real fast? Uh, Would you rather give yourself the chains at a local tournament? Be like, I know I'm better than little Timmy. But I want him to be on equal footing, so he at least says the thing. Would you be okay giving yourself the chains, or would you rather win the tournament? If I'm playing in a tournament, no, I would rather not give myself chains. If I'm playing casual, if little Timmy's just starting out, or you know whatever, if I know my deck's good, I'll you know sure. I, I would like it to be an unofficial kind of thing, just like hey, you know, don't worry, I'll I'll have you know seven chains. I'll I'll help you out. Um, but no, if I'm in a tournament, like that's that's kind of the point. Is like you. You know, like you said, it's it's it, it would, you know, if they have their way, you know, it will become kind of a coin flip. And what's the point? You know, it doesn't. And I guess you know, a, a solution to this is sealed. You know, nobody's getting chains if they're sealed, unless, you know, unless they just go just go full full wacky on it, and you know, assign chains to players and not decks. Um, oh, that'd be even worse. Oh, which man. I yeah, which I don't think that's the case, but. That's how that's how you'd get people to stop playing the game, you know, and I don't know, you know, I don't I don't I won't pretend to understand the relationship dynamics between, you know, like Richard Garfield and Magic and Richard Garfield and Keyforge and all that stuff. But if he hopes that the game becomes even half as popular as Magic and has an actual competitive scene and like, you know, really kind of does something interesting and paves the way you're you're going to 
you're going to totally push away so many of the, you know, competitive players with rules like that. You know, imagine just, you know, imagine your your tournament winner, world champion magic player, and you tell me, okay, here's Keyforge, here's an interesting concept. And he says, oh, that's kind of cool. And he says, oh, by the way, you're penalized really harshly for being good, and you're the best at magic, so you're going to be really good at Keyforge. You know, he's going to, you know, scoff at that and just say, you know, like, no, no, I'm not going to touch that, no thanks. And you're just, you're going to really alienate that that big portion of the market, which as far as card games go, especially a physical card game, you know, if it's online, you know, get weird with it. Sure. Do whatever you want, but a physical card game, like these, both the card games themselves and the stores that kind of facilitate the events, they rely so much on these events, bringing people in. Like that's how they survive. Like card games don't, I don't know if anyone knows this, but card games don't, or card stores don't survive by selling cards. They survive by hosting magic tournaments. Like that's just how it works. And if you know if you can't do that for KeyForge, there you know there the stores aren't going to support it. People aren't going to come to play it, and then people aren't going to come to buy it, and then they're not going to sell it at all, and it's just going to kill the game. And that's being really dramatic. I'll like re-say what I said again. Like I'm not actually right. I'm not mad about any of this. I'm not freaking out about it, but it is something to think about. And I and the reason I'm not like actually freaking out about it is because you know card game nerds are just like the most the most vocal explosive kinds of people you know just so quick to get angry about everything so petty and i mean that the best way that if they start you know if fhg starts doing something stupid especially because keyforge is like so loved right now it's not kind of an obscure card game that is you know just barely known i think they'll you know they'll they'll fight you know fight to the death when it comes to like letting their opinion be known and if they try to do something stupid with chains or the chains are too strict you know you win three games in casual and you get six chains or something like that you know i think people will freak out about it and it'll correct itself pretty immediately that's that's my hope i i think in the perfect world they will have it be so that every deck has a 50 percent ratio against each other not factoring in skill so your skill potting the deck is what the determining factor is so it's not a coin flip and it's specifically based on your skill with the deck that you pilot, not the insane amount of cards that you can draw on a single turn or like these crazy combos. It is just specifically down to your skill. And I think that's the the perfect world. Yeah. Like uh, if we were to liken it to something like a golf handicap, a golf handicap is purely for scoring. It's not like they say, well, you're a much better player than this person you're going up against, so you have to wear this cinder block around your neck attached to a chain. Like, it shouldn't be an impediment on gameplay, I guess, is sort of the perspective that you guys seem to be espousing. And I agree with that entirely. I think I mostly just like it from the perspective of it provides a means to place a handicap on the game, which hopefully will prevent the situation that you have um, with other collectible card games like magic, for example, where, uh, you know, a deck combination comes out and stomps all over everybody. And uh, then, you know, after a certain amount of time, they just ban the cards out of it. You can't do that with Keyforge because what do you can do ban decks, you know, not feasible. So, uh, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll really have to see how it gets implemented. It's not a perfect solution, but it's at least an interesting one to try and address that issue. Um, we'll have to see what happens. Right. Yeah. Well said. And it looks like we're at about the one hour mark. So I think we should call it for call it for this episode. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. This was episode two of Library Access. 
Um, you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the keyforge. Uh, we're also on anchor.fm, uh, you know, library access. You can search for us there and we are everywhere podcasts are. We're on, you know, iTunes, we're on Apple podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google play, um, we're on Podbean. We're everywhere. Um, also check out the keyforge.com, uh, the number one keyforge fan site on the internet. Um, if you guys have any, any suggestions for topics, anything you want covered, anything like that, uh, let us know in the comments. We'll be happy to touch on them. But if not, we will uh, see you guys next time. And thank you for listening.